Amen. Man, it's great to be here with you this morning, great to be worshiping with you, and uh, we are closing out a series today. We're in a series called The Two Become One, and uh, we've been walking through what it means to have this oneness uh, in the home, in a family unit, and uh, what God means by that, and uh, sort of a timely uh, situation, it seems. And uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about that throughout this morning, just bring it up uh, at the right moment and talk through that piece and process a little bit, okay? Oneness. That's what we've been talking about. As God says from the very beginning, as Adam and Eve came together, he says, the two shall become one flesh. And that's what we have in the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 2. And then you go to the end and we have Jesus Christ coming with his bride, the church, coming together. And so marriage is throughout all of Scripture. We've said this repeatedly. Man, a big point in marriage is to be able to understand all that God is doing with his church. It is a gospel message. And as we live out our marriages, may we not just live them out for comfort or contentment, but may we live them out saying, Lord, teach me more of who you are. And that's a lot of what this is all about is, Lord, teach me and shape me in my understanding of you and my relationship with you, all right? Oneness, and uh, so we've talked a lot about it. We talked about spiritual oneness, and then relational oneness, and even physical oneness, and then the responsibility of the husband and the wife, man and woman in those roles, and what that works like and looks like, and so today we're going to actually answer the tough question, well, so if it's oneness and it's meant for life, is there ever a time where the oneness can be broken? That's what we're going to be looking at today. So turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew 19. And uh, we've got ushers coming forward. they got Bibles in their hands. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand, and they will get one to you, all right? Just raise your hand. They'll get a Bible to you. We're going to walk through this verse by verse in Matthew 19 and then in another passage as well, all right? So in order to understand the oneness plan and the when the oneness can be broken. We're just going to walk through this passage. The first point we pull out of it, uh, hold fast. Marriage is intended to be a lifelong commitment of oneness between one man and one woman. Hold fast. Marriage is intended to be a lifelong commitment of oneness between a man and a woman. All right. And uh, we'll talk more about that as we move along. There's been some statements made about that this week in uh, politics and uh, God's been pretty clear with that in Genesis 2. Uh, Our position a number of weeks ago was this position, and it hasn't changed. All right? So we'll just stay on that. We'll talk through that as we move. Uh, Hold fast. Marriage is intended to be a lifelong commitment of oneness. And uh, so let's just walk into it. Matthew 19, it says, Now when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. All right? All too often we can read through scripture and we just start moving at pace, right? And like now we're in the gospels, like it wasn't even red words, so I'm just going to read those fast, right? And, and be careful, slow down, make sure you're capturing all that scripture has to say. Notice it says, now when Jesus had finished these sayings, what sayings? And make sure you look back, get the context, see what he's talking about here, about a brother in sin and how we would handle that. These are some tough topics Jesus was dealing with. And then right after it, the unforgiveness, and if we're unforgiving, what that means for our relationship with God and how we can work that out. He's delivering some heavy load of relationship talk, all right? When Jesus had finished those sayings, he wasn't walking around just trying to make friends, 
shake hands, kiss a few babies. Right? That's not what it was. He was delivering some heavy words. And it says right after it, after he had finished saying these things, he went to Galilee. He entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. Large crowds followed him. Like in the midst of these teachings that were tough teachings, people were beginning to throng to him and hear from him. They wanted to know what he had to say. It wasn't the kind of thing where they were just hanging around going, hey, did anybody hear what Jesus had to say today? Were you there? Was anybody there? And it was more like they're walking right beside him. They can't get close enough. They're walking sideways so they can see him while he's talking. Maybe they're even in front of him as they're walking. Like they're around him. They're massively following him. And as he's saying things that stun him, they're like, oh, I have not heard that before. Go get your cousin. He needs to hear this. And somebody runs off and grabs another. And here comes more people. And the crowds are gathering to hear what Jesus Christ has to say, all right? They're walking along together. It does says more, though, than just the crowds gathered. It said, and he healed them. Can you imagine that? Like, people are walking along. Some people are limping along. And Jesus stops and does something, and someone is physically healed. Right there. The guy's like, whoa, I can walk, man. And he starts walking around and talking to people. He runs home to tell a few people, right? And they're like, dude, how are you walking? He's like, this guy, Jesus. And like, he just, and now I'm, and people come. And more and more people rallying around as Christ is doing, yes, physical healing, yes, spiritual healing, yes, all kinds of healing, emotional and otherwise, just moving through the crowds, caring for them. Remember, he is the almighty creator God. He spoke them into existence, and he is caring for his creation, all right? Jesus has some things to say and some things to do, and it's building a crowd. And uh, why is that important? The Pharisees came to him to test him. Why? Because he was getting a following, man. Because he was beginning to get a crew that was tracking after him, and they were getting sick of it. They were supposed to be the ones delivering the leadership, and he's taking them away. And so now they're going to test him. What does that mean? It means they're going to throw a question at him and make him pick a side. They're going to make him do something to lose some of his following, all right? And at least that was their intent. It says the Pharisees came to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Now we have to understand that. It really has that emphasis. For any cause, right? It's like, is there freedom to do it no matter what, no matter when, just because? And so we need to understand there were actually two major organizations of battle going on back then. There was a priest whose name was Hillel, all right, Hillel, and his position was for any cause, any. She burned the pancakes, and, and, and I've had it, and, uh, and uh, bring the pancakes in, let us see them, and that's good enough for us. That was Hillel's position, right? Any cause. And, uh, and then there was Shammai's position. No, dude. Any biblical God-honoring cause. Marital unfaithfulness alone. Okay? And there were these two massive positions. The huge amount of public people had followed after the for any cause. Like, no-fault divorce. Kind of going that route with it, all right? 
And so there was a massive following of for any cause. That's where the crew was at. So they asked him very clearly, is that where you stand, Jesus? He's going to have to pick a side no matter what he says. He's going to lose some followers. At least that's their thinking. And uh, they're going to cause him to stand up on this one. And uh, so Jesus answered, have you not read? Okay, for all of you who think that Jesus doesn't love sarcasm, he's talking to the Pharisees, man. They're like, have I not read? I haven't memorized. You bring it. I'll tell you where it's found, and I'll be able to tell you at what age I memorized it. Have I not read it? That's what's going on. This is a deeply offensive question. Haven't you read? And uh, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And that he said then, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Haven't you read that? And, uh, and you remember those verses ourselves. We've read that. We've read that a couple times. We're not even Pharisees, right? And uh, so that we've been through that in the purpose statement of marriage. And this is Genesis 2 being requoted, and it's multiple times throughout Scripture. Uh, this is a huge deal. Everybody say huge deal. This is a huge deal, and the two shall become one flesh, man and woman, two becoming one flesh. Haven't you read that? And the Pharisees, deeply horrified by it, now jaw dropped as they're looking at him, and uh, Jesus continues, uh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. What God has joined together, let not man separate. You hearing that? The two becoming one is a God moment. There's a covenant moment going on there. And God is doing something and saying something in the lives of these people. And he's saying, please, don't be all about the divorce plan. Be about the hold fast plan. Okay? Hold fast together. Make sure you keep these two as one. Let not man separate. And uh, so just a couple of verses for you. Romans 7, verse 1. Romans chapter 7, verse 1. It says, hey, just so you know, marriage is for life, till death do you part. Like that's how it got into the vow. Somebody didn't make it up because it sounded romantic. It was part of God's command. And it's for life, man. And so as we're taking these vows, we're saying, yeah, until I die or until she dies, this covenant is in place. That's the intent of marriage, to hold fast, all right? Malachi 2, 14 through 16, another good passage. He actually calls the wife the covenant wife of my youth. Marriage is a covenant. It's more than something that just happens between two people. It's something that happens before God, okay? Huge deal. And a covenant being taken. And then it says in verse 16 that God hates divorce. Like he stands against the brokenness of marriage, all right? That's a big deal. Now, there's going to be a little bit we're going to walk through here. There are a couple of exceptions that he lists out, but the general position of God is, for life, I stand against, okay? I stand against divorce. That's where it's at. That's the basic position, and if we grasp the starting point, we're going to understand better the next steps, all right? Hold fast. It's for life. We're going to stand true to God with that. That's our mainline goal, and... Uh, he goes on from there. He says, they said to him, 
Uh, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? Please notice the words they use. Why did Moses command? Okay. Always be careful when you're talking with someone. The word choice used is very important. They're trying to win a battle, and so they're now trying to get him to commit to divorce. He basically just was asked a divorce question, and he gave a marriage answer. Are you seeing that? He switched the topic. Yeah, hold fast, dude. That's the plan. Well, why did Moses command it then? See, now they're trying to throw Moses against Jesus. That's what's going on, right? And they use the word command. Jesus has an answer for him. Uh, because of your hardness of heart, Moses, take a look. What's your passage say? Moses allowed. Please be careful. This isn't a command. This is an allowance. And the reason is because of your hardness of heart. Notice he did not say our hardness of heart. Jesus is not included in that. He is perfect. He does not have sin. In fact, he's now talking to a Pharisee and he says, you want to understand why there's divorce? Because of your hardness of heart. And the Pharisee's being called out right at that point. Yes, your sin, man. Yours and yours and yours and your and all of humanity and the hardness of heart. That's why there was an allowance that would move away from the mainline plan. All right? Jesus being pretty clear about the setup. He says, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. Original design for life, hold fast, covenant under God. Okay? Got it? Under certain exceptions, because of hardness of heart, that can be stopped. All right? And that's where we're at. Pretty clear, pretty simple statement, the hold fast command. And uh, stick to it. I'll just say this. I was looking for an illustration this week. Julius Caesar, when he was trying to uh, take over massive land areas, specifically, in, in fact, in Britain, when they were going to try to take over Britain, he ended up taking his guys up to the cliffs of Dover, And they looked over the cliffs to the water below. And he said, take a look, men. What do you see? He had lit their ships on fire and burned them and made them sink. And he said, that's right. There is no turning back. There is no being done with this at any point. We move forward. And I'm just telling you, that works in all of life pretty well. And when you start looking at our commitment to marriage, when we come into it saying, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, until you tick me off, what have we done, right? We've got a ship in the harbor and it's ready to rock. And whenever I'm done, I jump on and I'm gone. And like, God's like, just hear me. The plan is hold fast, stay in this. Let's work this thing out. May God be glorified. All right. That's the position we need to take as a starting point with marriage. So I ask you one simple question. Do you have that resolve? Are you in, in your marriage, holding fast, saying, God, I want you glorified? We'll get to some exception clauses in just a second. First and foremost, are you in? And maybe you're single or you're dating or you're engaged. Do you have that perspective of marriage? That's God's perspective. It's time to bring it to bear in your life. All right? Grab hold, hold fast. That's the first step. 
Point number two. This is the first exception. Exception number one. The covenant of oneness can be broken when there is a hard heart and marital unfaithfulness. The covenant of oneness can be broken when there is a hard heart and marital unfaithfulness. All right? So, everybody hear me. Hard heart, marital unfaithfulness. There is sin going on, and it is an affair. Okay? Here we go. Jesus answers them, And I say to you, So that was the first part of his statement, what he had already said there. Now he's got a second statement. And I say to you, uh, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. That's pretty direct, man. So they were asking him to take a position. Did Jesus Christ take a stand on divorce? Yes, he did. Hillel, for any cause... Shammai, only for sexual infidelity. And he sided with Shammai. He's like, this is God's position and this is what was meant in Deuteronomy when you're trying to quote a passage wrongly. And it is only for sexual infidelity. And that's the stand. That's against what most of society was taking as a stand at that point. And it was a big deal moment as he said it. He said, uh, whoever divorces his wife set the exception and clause aside for a second, and marries another, commits adultery. Do you understand that? Whoever divorces commits adultery? How can that be true? And uh, Let's make sure we understand this very clearly. So let's throw the first pick up here, all right? And um, so here we go. Marriage is actually, think of it like two umbrellas, okay? And the top umbrella is God's covenantal bond with you, all right? The covenantal bond that occurs between God and two people as he now declares these two one. That covenantal bond is a massive moment of God working with you to begin to do something you could not do alone, covenantal, all right? And then the one under it is legal, That's the view that the government or state may have of it, all right? Legal bond. And so marriage is not just a legal moment. Marriage is actually the covenant before God and this legal. It's two umbrellas. And uh, what you're seeing here is when they would go to get a divorce, they were actually trying to address man's view of the thing. And God's like, just so you know, the problem is you're not able to address the covenantal view of the thing, all right? God's view. And uh, think of it this way. When we're doing the wedding... And uh, we're getting towards the end of the wedding. I usually come up next to the couple and I say, I want to introduce to you now for the very first time, Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so, right? And then there's usually applause. Everything goes off and some funky music starts playing and they walk down and everybody's happy, right? And uh, that's usually the moment where we're declaring them married. They haven't signed the papers and the state hasn't agreed to it. So right now they end up going out covenantally bonded before God. And then there's a moment where they're with the pastors and they're signing sheets of paper and there's witnesses on and saying, yeah, that happened. And now we have the legal bond that happens. We send it in in some couple of days up to 10 days. Lord willing, we get it there before 10 because then otherwise it's not legal. Did you know that? We actually have to get it there in 10 days or less. And uh, so we have great admins who make sure that happens for you every time. (laughs) And uh, so that's the legal bond. It's a piece of paper that gets sent in, okay? Okay. And so there's covenantal and there's legal. That's what's going on. 
And uh, Jesus is like, I'm just telling you, unless it's a biblical exception, if you walk away trying to divorce, this is what happens. Second pick. You're trying to kill the legal bond, right? But the covenantal is still in place. And so as you now move to another and try to marry another legally, you are bound first to another. And that's called an affair. That's why it's adultery. You are still under God's covenant as you step out. Okay? Everybody getting that? That was the smallest amount of response I've ever had. (laughs) Everybody getting that? It's a really big deal. There's a covenantal bond before God and then a legal bond. And breaking the legal bond does not break the covenantal bond. You are still under God married. And so stepping out to marry another, well, that would be called adultery. This, the third pick, let's go to that. When does this happen? Well, that's when it's an actual biblical allowance for exiting the marriage, all right? And he gives an exception clause right here. He says, and I say, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. You are allowed to go through this moment if there's been infidelity in the marriage. If they've gone off and slept with another person. Now, let's talk very clearly about that word. In the Greek, it's the, the word porneia. And that word literally means illicit sexual intercourse. That's what it means. It has been broadened to try to mean much more things than that. And I want to be very careful with that. That is not the original intent of the meaning. And so it would mean going off to sleep with another woman or man or right? Family member getting into incest, those kinds of things. It would be a wrong sexual intercourse going on. That's what violates. That's what it says here, okay? We have to be very careful with that. Now, I'm just going to tell you, some of you may have been taught very well by society what society thinks. And right now in Illinois, there's no fault. You can walk on that. And that does not agree with what Christ is saying here, okay? So be careful, with your position. Make sure it's not world-taught. Make sure it's Christ-taught. Make sure it's Bible-taught, all right? This is God's view. And so both covenant and legal can then be broken when there's been this sexual infidelity, all right? Huge deal, and uh, everybody say it's a huge deal. It is a huge deal, and let's stick to that, all right? And uh, let's just throw this last pick up here. Okay, this is what we have that happened Friday. God's view is that it's not a covenantal bond, but the state has sanctioned it as some sort of a legal bond. Okay? And so there isn't the covenantal boundary over it. This isn't God sanctioning over that. That's where we're at. Okay, this is a legal sanctioning. And you know what? The state has the right to do that. And let's be very clear. I'm going to be very clear on this. When the worldview is... Life, liberty, and the pursuit of individual happiness, right? Decisions like this will come down. There's not a moral absolute being defined by a God, but instead there is a where do I stand and what is the feel-good moment. And I'm just telling you, that's a worldview and it naturally leads to this. We shouldn't be shocked by it or disappointed in it. It is a natural endpoint of that worldview, Okay. And I'm just telling you, that is a shift of culture that occurred as of Friday, and we have to be very careful. Um, God, his statement of himself is, I am the Lord your God, I change not. All right? And so his position stands. And are you ready to hear that from that God? 
that as culture shifts, we stand firm with our God. I'm just going to tell you, we at Harvest Bible Chapel, we'll just say it this way. You've heard this before. One of our prime pillars, pillar number one, we proclaim the authority of God's word without apology. Okay? And so nothing has changed. Amen. It's very clear. We just want to make that clear to you guys as to where we stand. Now we got to be very careful. So what does that mean? I'm telling you this. We better be very respectful. Everybody hearing my words now? Very respectful, very uh, genuine and gentle in our understanding and following of this government. God still has placed them as government. And so how do those two work together? Well, we follow the government, Romans 13, as to the Lord. Do you hear that? So we will follow completely and accept in those cases where they ask us to follow in violation of God, and then we would step back. And we will, with great respect, be careful with our response to this government. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Right? This is not the moment where you go all militant. You're like, that's it. I'm done paying taxes. <laughs> right? Be careful, man. Like, nothing's changed. We stand where we stand, and this has been a, a position of this worldview for a long time. And so just be good with that, and let's move forward following our God. I'm telling you that it is times like this when culture shifts that God calls us out to be faithful and stand beside him and his word. And we trust him and we lean on him and God knows what he's doing and may he do what he needs to do. And all of God's people said? Amen. All right. That's our position, uh, simple and clear. We do believe in absolute truth. It does not shift with the culture, okay? Let's make sure this isn't the only thing you actually care about now. This thing that went down Friday with a 5-4 vote, and that's all I'm going to talk about again. Okay, there are many sins in this world, and I've got sin in my own heart, and I need to be dealing with it, and let's not get all militant about dealing with somebody else's and not our own. Okay? And so we've got our stuff to deal with. Come before your God and say, Lord, what do you need changed in my soul? Now we're talking a walk with Christ. Okay. Clear enough? Give you a little bit of an understanding on where to stand with this. Okay? And so we will respectfully be following our government, but this is a position that we will have to respectfully decline. Uh, we stand with Scripture on it, okay? And uh, just so you know, just so I'm really clear on this, man, we have a lot of people who come to us and want to be married, and we actually, you know, a man and a woman, and we talk through things and have to say, this is not the time, or it's not right for some reason. And uh, this isn't the only time where we're, like, raising up and saying, hang on, let's walk through this, you need to understand something, Okay? We're very clear on that. We walk through what God has to say, all right? That is where we stand. So there is covenantal oneness. There is legal bonding, okay? And breaking the legal bind does not mean the covenant is broken. The covenant is only broken when God says so. And his exception clause is marital unfaithfulness, all right? Sexual infidelity. That's the exception clause. And uh, we do have one more exception clause that we'll talk about. That's not between two believers. And so we'll bring that up in just a second. So I'm just going to wrap some thoughts around this. So uh, always there will be heat within your culture to shift away from God. Always. Jesus had it. They're coming up to him and they're like, hey, pick a position. You're probably going to lose a following. And uh, hey, man, if our position today is a seat clearer, 
then it's a seat clearer for the moment. And we take our stand with our God. All right? That's where we're at. And uh, culture does shift. Culture's always a heated topic. We don't move with culture. We move with our God. Uh, Jesus clearly did take a side. He sided with Shammai, and he made a clear statement for divorce here. He basically said, only under marital unfaithfulness. Um, one exception here is marital unfaithfulness. Please note that it is tied to the word hard heart, okay? And so I'm just going to speak to this for a second. That means that this person is bent within them to sin, and they will not repent, all right? And God's goal, his passion is yes, even still in the midst of the affair, to do some restoring. And you might be in this room this morning and you have gone through a tough moment. I'm not at all saying that that means you need to stay in. I'm not saying that. But I am saying this. It's amazing what God can do in the midst if there is forgiveness and God works through it. Please be careful. I am, please hear me now. I am not asking anyone to get hurt in a situation that is absolutely wrong against them. If this person will not repent, man, as swift as you can, get to us. We want to help you and we want to walk through that. If they have repented, get to us. We want to walk through that with you and help you. I'm telling you, we want to protect you. We're there with you and we're hurting with you, okay? And maybe God's got a plan for a restoring. That would be awesome. We have multiple couples in this church where they have restored after that kind of an incident. And they are loving their, their spouse, and they are loving their God, and God is doing something amazing. We also have people in here who have been through tragedy, and the backside of it was not able to be restored, so be it. Okay? But we will call together for, is this heart coming around towards God? Is there a restoring that is even remotely reasonable or possible? And if not, we're okay to hear that. Let's work together. Remember, not commanded, but allowed. Okay? Can you hear the care? Please hear this. We're not getting militant. We're not getting directive on rules. We love you and we want to be there with you. All right? That's where we're at. I'm just going to say it this way. We have had affairs in this church that have absolutely crushed people. And if you are in an affair right now, today's the last day. Please be done. Shut it down. Love on your spouse. Be done with this thing. Put your God first. Be done with this thing. It is time to honor your king. It is time to honor your spouse. Please be done. And uh, we would love to walk through that with you. Come running at this. We're with you. All right? Huge deal. There's a lot that God can do in the midst of two broken hearts willing to work. And sometimes that is restoration of the marriage. And sometimes it's not. And both of those are legit decisions in this situation. Okay? We'll walk it through together. All right. So simple question to close it. I'm just going to ask this to the broader sense. How are you doing with your heart of repentance before God? All of us. Like, forget about this topic in the moment. How are you doing with saying, Lord, what in me needs to change that you might be more glorified? Are you ready to walk on that? Lord, I'm ready to give you all of me. Let's put him first. Let's not look around at the people around us who have a sin we can talk about so we don't have to talk about ourselves. Dude, that is a lame walk. And a love on them and make sure you're getting yourself right with your God. Okay? 
These are some tough words, right? And uh, Lord, may we hear these and very gently walk together on this, okay? So that's the first two. Third, let's turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. It's a few books after Matthew, right? So Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. 1 Corinthians, all right? So walk a few books over to your right. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Okay. So, point number three here. Exception number two. The covenant of oneness can be broken when an unbeliever chooses to leave. Uh, The covenant of oneness can be broken when an unbeliever chooses, please hear those two words big, someone who doesn't trust Christ and they want out when an unbeliever chooses to leave. So let's just start in verse 10 here. It says, to the married, I give this charge. That's another word for command, all right? It says, not I, but the Lord, okay? So basically, I want you to be clear, God is saying this. This is a moment where there's a quote coming down. It says, the wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. So in general, the position right back to the beginning, hold fast, man, and, and, and be careful. And he's like, to the married, I just give this charge. Stay together. This is reiterating the same thing we saw in the first part of Matthew 19, all right? He then goes on, though, and uh, he says, to the rest, I say, I, not the Lord. All right, let's process that for a moment. So to the rest, First of all, this is going to be to those who are believers married to unbelievers. He's covered believer with believer in both singleness and in marriage. Now he's covering believer with unbeliever. That's what the rest is here. Okay, so to the rest, that's the believer married to the unbeliever. Now notice what he says. I, not the Lord. Okay, be very careful how you process this kind of stuff. So let's just talk this through. The word of God is inspired. Right, 2 Peter 1, 21. And it says that the word of God is inspired where the Holy Spirit working with men carries them along, giving them what needs to be said. But hear me, he's working within their vocabulary and their life experience. So that's what inspiration is. Sometimes, though, he even goes up one more where he's like, look, I'm great that you have a set of vocabulary and I'm great that you have life experience, but I want you to do this. These are my words, record them. And then the prophet or the apostle is like, thus saith the Lord, and then writes the exact words of the command, okay? There's two levels going on of inspiration. One is exact dictation from God, quote, command, here's the position, these are the words. Some of that is found in in Scripture. We see where God says, write this down, and the prophet writes, thus saith the Lord, and records exactly what God said. And then there's other times where they're moved amongst with their experiences and with their vocabulary and their understanding of God and how the Spirit is moving with them. They then record position, understanding. That is an inspired moment. Paul is like, I want to be clear with you. This is one of those moments where the Holy Spirit's carrying me along, but it is not exact dictation. He's being pretty clear on that. This is not a thus saith the Lord moment where the exact words of, and I'm just going to say this. Is it not amazing that Paul knows the difference? He's an apostle in the church, and as he's recording, he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. 
Hang on just a second. God's giving me exact words right now. Here's what they are. Dude, that's a moment. And I think we need to grasp the, the unbelievable nature of when someone wrote down, thus saith the Lord, for him to be able to grasp that difference. And he, in this case, he's like, I'm just telling you, I'm being influenced by the Holy Spirit and with my grasp and understanding of vocabulary and how God works and his character and the spirit moving within me, this is an inspired position, but it's coming from me. This is not direct quote, okay? That's a huge deal. And being able to process through God's word where you understand that, where you sometimes you'll see the author call out an I moment, making sure you grasp it's still under inspiration. It's just not direct quote from God. Okay? Big deal. And uh, everybody just say, that's a big deal. Some of you are like, it is? I missed it. And uh, go back and check it in the video afterwards, right? Uh, so to the rest, I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any man has a wife, she's an unbeliever, and she's like, I'm still willing to stay with you. Your Jesus loving is not totally freaking me out. I'm not willing to leave. I'm good with staying, right? That's where I'm at, and I'm willing to stay with you. The statement here very simply then is, then stay with her. Don't divorce her. And in fact, he then goes on and says, the next piece to the guy as well. And so we have the same command going to the guy, uh, to the husband, uh, making sure that if uh, he is an unbeliever and willing to stay, that she does not leave. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. So it's holding husband and wife standing side by side. And if the, you are a believer, if you're in here today and you're saved and your spouse is not, but they are willing to stay in the marriage and work on it, then the scripture's pretty clear. Then stay in and work on. And let's see what God has to do in this thing. Okay? And everybody just say, that's a big deal. Dude, that's a big deal. And uh, so a lot of people misquote this, and they're like, my spouse is an unbeliever, so I get to leave. Do you hear the twist on that? The believer just chose to walk out. That is not what this says. If the unbeliever says they're in, you're in. That's what it says. Okay? Clear enough? Got some head nods. Clear enough? All right. Being very direct here, Scripture's pretty clear. And uh, if any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. What in the world does that mean? And here's what it means. You're saved. You're praying you're going through God's word. You're living gently and passionately for your king. You're modeling who he is. You're making much of your God. And I'm telling you, that actually is being seen and felt. And God's using that and may even win them across to trusting in him, depending on how God's moving there and what's going on. And I'm just saying he's using your stance with him for this person to get to know God better. And that's a huge moment. And there's holiness happening in your home. And uh, it's a big deal. And uh, a huge position and stance that we can have as believers trusting in Christ to bring a holiness into the home of that sort. And it actually even goes on from there. The unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife and the unbelieving wife made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. Able to now keep a family unit together 
and you're teaching and sharing and you saved, you're now sharing the truth of Jesus Christ, you're walking through what scripture has to say, you're praying with them, they're getting to know what it is to be followers of Christ through you and God's hand moving in that home through you. That's what it means to be set apart, holy, that's what the word is. God's doing some amazing work in the home as you stay with. And stay with that family and encourage. And uh, let's see what God does, okay? So that's the unbeliever willing to stay with. Notice it says, but if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. The partner with you is unsaved, and they're like, dude, I am so done. This is not that moment where you try with all you've got to make them stay. It's not that. This is where you have the conversation. You let them know you're willing to love them. You let them know you're going to follow your Christ. And then you see what God does. And if they're willing to move, then it says, let it be so. Okay? So the two positions the church takes are the two positions we see in Scripture with two believers, right? You've got if there's a marital unfaithfulness, and then if one of them's an unbeliever and they're like, I'm done with this Jesus thing, I'm out of here. I'm just done with this family, I'm out. You can let the unbeliever walk. And uh, notice it says right after it, in such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. We'll go back to Romans 12, and as much as it depends on you, be at peace with all men, all right? And so he is saying here, if they're willing to walk, then that's a legit position. God has declared that covenant not a covenant before him. Look, this person won't even believe in who God is. God's declaring that covenant not there, okay? It's a huge deal. All right. It says, for how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband, or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Can you notice the focus in 1 Corinthians 7? It is not on how to get out. It is on how can I see them saved? Okay, that's the focus. That needs to be our passion and our tender-hearted hope for people is that they come to trust Christ as Savior. Man, do we believe Jesus Christ is Savior? Answer? Yes. Then, then let's live like it. Let's not live like it's all about my feelings and my emotions and the freedoms I want to have and I don't want to have to be stuck with. And All right, enough said on that. Let me just get after this real quickly here so some frequently asked questions that come up on this. Ready? Number one, what if I left for the wrong reason? It wasn't one of these two. What if I was a believer and I walked out and it wasn't for marital unfaithfulness? And uh, I would say this, well, a lot depends on where you're at now and what's taken place. And we'd have to carefully walk through that. And every one of these frequently asked questions, I would love to be able to sit down with you. We would love to have our pastoral staff or counseling staff sit down with you and let's walk it through. But the answer is simple. If you've walked away for the wrong reason, then getting back together would be a good thing. In fact, we see it here in, in 1 Corinthians 7. It says um, that actually you should either remain unmarried or get back together, right? We see it very clearly in 1 Corinthians 7, 10 and 11 and 12 right there. So follow that passage and get back together or remain unmarried. And um, all right, well, what if they remarried? My spouse went off, they got married, or they've been, you know, sleeping around or whatever. Well, now we have a Matthew 19 situation and you are free. Everybody see what just happened there? So once one of the exception clauses came in, free. Okay. And uh, what if there's other major issues? What if there was something going on and I don't like the way they're managing the finances or, or what if there's uh, emotional abuse or physical abuse or, okay, I want to be very tender to this answer when I give it. I want to be very careful. Um, 
We will protect you with all we've got. We stand beside you and we love you and we are with you. And if you are in a relationship that is crushing you, we need to talk, okay? But be careful. The quick answer of just running to try to grab it as a covenantal out and saying it's done is not what we see in Scripture, all right? We're going to want to walk through that, and it may even include separation to be able to protect you physically. Hear me on this. It may even call for calling the police and getting them involved. We've been there. We've done it. We'll do it again, okay? We're with you, and we're going to protect you, and we care about you. Let's make sure that we don't let somebody get hurt in the midst of this, all right? But let's also walk through God's plan for covenant marriage, okay? Those are some tough words right there, and if you are in that spot, please hear me. We want to be able to cry with you and talk with you and work it all through. We're with you, okay? All right. Um, What if I'm right now in an affair or my my spouse is? Man, again, we need to talk right away. And uh, it could be that Matthew 19 is an out, and it's done. It could be it's time to call for repentance and God does something. We'll see what God does. All right? Do you see how we're working this? We're always going back to the two exception clauses and we work from there. Always. And we will always make sure there is safety and protection along the way. Okay? May God be glorified. And these are tough ones, isn't it? And uh, can you see why we saved this for the end, the capstone? (laughs) Like, we have to make sure we have all the rest in place before we move to this because we've got to understand how it should look and what it should go like. And so please hear me. We love you. We want to work through this. We want our God glorified. I'm just going to turn it around now. Here we go. Are you ready? Marriage, it is meant to model who Jesus Christ is. It is meant to bring a passionate statement of the glory of our King and Him coming again and us as bride and groom coming together. May God be glorified. Marriage. It is a huge role of interaction with our God. It is a massive, massive infrastructure of relationship and sometimes hurt. And we need to work through this very carefully. We've made it super clear today what we see Scripture as, and our elder board and pastoral staff stand on this. We'll work together on this with you. We love you. There are two exceptions along the way for managing your marriage, but please hear me. There is a God over this thing who can do amazing stuff. He heals and the crowds throng. Our God is awesome. Amen? We serve the risen Savior, and he has plan. We will lean on him. We will hope in him. He is glorious. That's our king. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. Man, that's where we're going. If you have any questions that come out of this, we would love to talk to you more, all right? Here's what I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask our worship team to come on up, and uh, I'm going to gear shift along the way here. So as they come up, I will gear shift. My request is, let's just go to prayer right now, and uh, let's just lift this whole topic before our God. God, you are my God. Can we switch over to that? Make sure we're ready to go. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're taking this moment where we hand this church before you. We hand our marriages before you. There are so many fragile topics and heartaches that can come out of this. Lord, help us to love one another and come before you with all we've got. Lord, you are God. You are our healer. You are our redeemer. You are our restorer. 
May we lean on you and trust in you and rush to you. May our marriages model you. May you be our everything. May we never set down what you say because we like what the world has to say better. Lord, may we hear from you, may we rush to you, and may we worship you as our glorious, almighty King. It is in your mighty, powerful name I pray these things. And all of God's people said,